Hey, listeners, welcome to another episode of The Background Scoop. I'm your host, DJ Stavropoulos, part-time background actor here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks so much for tuning in. I stumbled into Hollywood in October 2019 and did just over 30 projects in my first year, including nine weeks in a sequestered bubble on a Netflix movie called Red Notice. It's where I did my first body double work in addition to playing multiple other characters. Since I'm not an acting virgin, I think I have something valuable to share with anyone who's interested in listening. Are you an up and coming background actor who wants to learn more or just interested in hearing some crazy stories? Listen in. This episode is all about the culture in this industry. And by that, I mean everything about the people and places and structure of it. All the things that make it what it is. If you've had other jobs, as most of us have, think of this as a description of the industry itself, the companies within it, the people that do this work, what they wear, what they eat, what they talk about, and how they behave. I consider this to be the third major industry I've worked in. First was corporate America, primarily banks and consulting firms, then real estate, and now film and TV, at least what it is here in Georgia. I'm sure California isn't exactly the same. It always fascinates me how different these cultures can be and how the people within them are the ones that define them and make them what they are. No one sat down one day and wrote an operations manual to define the culture. It was driven by the people who work in it, and they in turn, over time, helped to evolve it into what it is today. It's a morphing thing that will continue to change, and it doesn't start from nowhere. I know there was a Christopher Columbus from California who discovered Georgia one day and brought people here. They're the ones we give credit to, just like the Puritans who settled the American colonies. I'm not judging anyone here, just making observations, so I hope none of my content is taken personally or sounds judgy in any way. One thing I know is that it's always easier to move from a rigid culture to a more relaxed one, and I know this because I've done it. Stuffy, rigid corporations gave way to the freedom of real estate where I now exist, or at least I coexist there along with the just as flexible, albeit different environment in the film and TV industry. I'll get started after the break. Uh, So today is Monday, February 1st, 2021. It's just after 10 a.m., I'm in the west end of Atlanta on White Street specifically for a COVID test for Cobra Kai tomorrow. And as I'm standing outside the trailer, well, first of all, there's no parking, so that was a fiasco. But as I'm standing outside the trailer, I see this PA go into it and say, I need to steal the nurse for a COVID test for an actor. And it looks like this woman, Cody, who was a PI in Red Notice um, that I worked with, but I wasn't sure. So she leaves. And when I got in there, I asked them and they said, yeah, that was Cody. I'm like, oh, cool. So when I was done and I was going back to my car, she comes walking back in and I yell, Cody, and I start waving at her. And she's like, hey, Demetrius. And I was so shocked. I'm like, wow. I'm like, you remember my name. So it's really cool when you run into people from other shows you've been on. And I always have this expectation that how on earth can these PAs remember hundreds of background people? There were only 40 of us on that project. But apparently she remembered me, um, although she remembered my real name and not my nickname, DJ. But that's fine. Um, She did make a comment to me one day when I was dressed up in my... Uh, body double costume something about loving my sneakers because the sneakers I had on just didn't go with the outfit um, obviously Um, but that was cool so that's my fun story for today Um, headed back home to do some work and uh, I'll clue you guys in on what happens on Cobra Kai tomorrow I'm sure it'll be a real adventure
Okay, I promised I'd report in on Cobra Kai. Today is Tuesday, February 2nd, 2021. It was a short day. My original call time was 6 a.m., but that got pushed to 6.45. So I got to sleep in until 5.15, which is only 45 minutes earlier than I normally get up. It was freezing cold and windy when I got there, actually 32 degrees, and yet wardrobe reviewed what we wore and what we brought and had us changing in tents in a parking lot outside. Brr. My look included not wearing my gray and black pea coat, which I thought would be okay. Apparently, there were way too many dark colors, and they wanted brighter ones. Wearing a hat and scarf was approved, but not the gloves. She had been to a hockey game and didn't recall wearing gloves. All I had to do to stay warm was put a second shirt on over my v-neck shirt under my sweater. I did see Cody again, but with my hat, scarf, and gloves on, she didn't recognize me and just waved me to the shuttle bus. Oh well, some days you're totally unrecognizable. That means I'm a great actor. I also ran into Justin A., a Red Notice wardrobe guy, and we chatted for a bit. It's always so nice to see familiar faces on jobs, including Fusong, a guy I met on DMZ a year ago and ran into last weekend. We caught up then, but today he was glued to a woman he knows and completely ignored me. Was I really that unrecognizable? Or did I accidentally wear my invisibility cloak? Speaking of which, MacGyver concocted one of these in an episode I just saw, and it was brilliant. Anyway, Fu told me that even with a COVID vaccine, they didn't care. He still had to get tested for these jobs. The check-in was very chaotic. We were all given paper vouchers immediately. The voucher said central casting on it, although I was booked through tailor-made casting. So that was confusing. When I work a central casting job, I don't have to complete any paperwork. So I had to ask Chris, the PA, and it turns out I did have to complete all five forms. I saw someone next to me completing an I-9 and asked where I'd gotten it from because all I got was a voucher. Like an idiot, I hadn't turned the page to see the rest of the forms hiding behind page one. Will I ever learn? They began pulling background onto the set before all of us had even recorded that we were there. Those of us that knew this stayed behind so we could formally check in first. The hockey arena was freezing, so I kept sneaking out into the main hallway, which was much warmer. The scenes were quick. It was a bit of a cluster when Kenny first brought me and an older woman out. We walked into the arena with our props. I had a paper tray of nachos, melted cheese, and a wrapped up hot dog. Once we got in, he pulled us over to get out of the shot and then realized they were actually filming, but that no one had told him. We still had our masks on. Oops. When it came time to film, I just kept my coat on. Several hours later, the wardrobe woman asked me if my coat was part of my look. Apparently, she can't remember what she tells people in the morning and had no photos to refresh her memory. I didn't lie. I just said I had had it on during all of the filming, which was technically true. They should have paid us a freeze bump because it was cold as hell in there. We did a few more scenes and then were taken out to a parking lot where we were told to toss our props into a dumpster. I hate wasting food. I should have just scarfed down the nacho chips, but my keto brain yelled no. They put us on a shuttle back to where we parked and there was a building where we had lunch. Of course, it was all boxed up. And when I picked up a chicken box and asked if it was on the bone, they sternly told me now that I had touched it, I had to take it. Duh. As if I didn't know that already. Are they not listening to my podcast? Episode 6, First Wives Club. Don't you know who I am? So because they didn't tell us to bring our stuff to lunch, most people left their vouchers and belongings back at holding, which was a bad idea. Because during lunch, they said they were wrapping us immediately after. Our cars were right outside the door, but our stuff was not with us. Some really smart people had brought all of their things and got to check out right there. 
most of us had to trudge back to holding and then wait another 30 minutes until Matt arrived to check us out. I was terrified. I had gotten into a line along the plexiglass wall. I was number eight, but all the hockey players were congregating at the other end, and Matt chose to sit down there and start processing them. Damn it! I was at the wrong end of the line. But it was a false alarm. He checked them out down there and then came to my end to start checking out background. This is one of the frustrating parts of the job. There isn't a lot of communication and you can easily miss out on a shortcut and accidentally get stuck in the most inefficient way to get out of there. Nonetheless, I was home by 3 p.m. and the dogs were glad to see me. I managed to submit for two other jobs while there and got booked on Doom Patrol next week. It's a period scene, no facial hair, and you may get a haircut as well. At first, I had posted to everyone in my Red Notice Facebook Messenger group that the job sounded appealing, but that I had stopped agreeing to shave my facial hair. That's where I draw the line. And then I caved. And then they booked me immediately. It'll grow back. Although it's only $80 for eight hours, the COVID pay is off the chart. $40 each time, and we get tested twice, and $20 for fitting. All told, that's at least $180 plus overtime. And I know from experience that Doom Patrol days are very, very long. So I don't mean to beat a dead horse here, but here we are again in another scheduling quagmire. So me and three friends of mine from Red Notice all got booked on a project down at Trillith. It was about 10 days spread across January, February, and March. Well, we filmed the first date, and after that, the whole schedule got hosed. So two days after that, they got back to us and said, the schedule is being reworked. Here is one date. Are you available? So I responded to that. And then two days after that, they came back and said, here's the rest of the schedule. Let us know what if you're available, but you have to be available for all the dates. So I responded to that. Now, here we are a week later, and we haven't heard back. And so my friends are wondering, does that mean we're committed? And here's my position on it. You're not committed. All you did was respond to an availability check. If you were available at the time that you responded, then that's fine. But that no way means you're supposed to hold your schedule open for them. So you are free to book yourself on other projects. And if you do, there's two ways to handle it. You can be nice and get back to the casting company and say, hey, I'm no longer available on such and such a dates because I booked something else or you can wait for them to come back to you because you don't even know if they're going to book you or not. They just wanted to know if you were available. So why waste the time? If they do pick you and come back to you, you're still not confirmed until you reconfirm your availability. So you may as well just wait to then. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Then you haven't wasted time getting back to them. So that's my take on that. Unfortunately, they don't tell you right up front how long you're gonna be sitting and waiting so you have no idea how long that's gonna take. And I'm not gonna hold you know, 10 days of my calendar open hoping that they're gonna get back to me and book me because that may not happen and I'm not gonna you know, forego other opportunities that could lead to immediate bookings on the spot. So that's what I have to say on that subject. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. 
There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. I have to talk about the clothes people wear in this industry, but I'm not really sure what I want or need to say here. I don't mean the red carpet stuff you see on TV. I mean what the people who work in the industry wear. The directors, ADs, PAs, sound people, wardrobe, special effects, the whole kit and caboodle. Because it's very different. Or maybe it's just California, the state masquerading as the film industry to me here in Georgia. But in reality, this is how everyone in LA dresses? I don't know. I think it's definitely an industry thing. First, it's the boots. Everyone and their mother wears Chelsea boots. Google it. And not just any brand. We're talking Blundstone all the way. It took me almost a year to figure this out. I kept seeing them on people's feet and wondering what they were and trying to get close enough to read the soul or take a picture. I finally said screw it and just asked somebody. How embarrassing. I'm a goober and I want to be cool, but I have to ask you how? And then I forget the name before I had a chance to write it down. I had to start the discovery process all over again. I just finally bought myself a pair in November 2020 as a gift to myself for my birthday. Plus, I had just weathered nine weeks in a COVID bubble, so hell, I deserve them. All $165 worth. They are not cheap, and they're made in Australia, so the sizes are really weird. On their website, you tell them you're US size, and they put it through a sophisticated algorithm to convert it. Not really. They basically just go down one size because they run big. I wear a nine, so I got an eight. They're very comfortable, and I feel really cool when I wear them. But now my other Chelsea boots are jealous because I never wear them anymore. Sorry. Everything else is a mishmash. But there's lots of very industrial-looking wear. In other words, things you might find at a Dickies store somewhere in the Midwest that the people have adopted to wear. Kind of like painter's pants were big in the 70s. Very hard to describe. I wish I had pictures. Lots of puffer coats, ski caps everywhere, regardless of the temperature, because on a movie set, it can be freezing even if it's 100 degrees outside. Lots of what I'll call utility belts, because these people have all kinds of stuff hanging off of them. You don't see any dresses, and no high heels, of course, because that's just stupid and not utilitarian. This is about working very long hours and being as comfortable as you can. Oh, and then Ginger brought this brown suede hippie vest with fringe on it. It's sort of parted like an inverted B in the front, from what I recall. Jessie liked it so much that she went out and bought one as well. This was on Red Notice, of course. Oh, these kids, I just can't keep up. It reminds me of how my taste in shoes totally changed when I moved to Atlanta 25 years ago. It was totally okay to wear very fashionable shoes here, which is something I had experienced, not, sorry, I had not experienced on Wall Street, where boring wingtips were all I wore. So today is Friday, February 5th, 2021. 
I had a real estate closing this morning at 10, way out in Cobb County somewhere, and then headed to Conyers for a COVID test. I'm telling this story because it's been the most messed up and frustrating testing experience I've had since I've been doing COVID testing for acting work. And I've done this a lot. It all started for me back in September 2020. I won't mention any names here to protect the innocent and not throw anyone under the bus, but here's the moral of the story. All of these companies use different processes and technologies and tools to make this happen, and it doesn't always work. You may be caught in the middle of a mess that you're not even sure who's responsible for resolving. You have the casting company, you have the production company, and you have a software company that's providing an application and or website to help run the testing process. I got an email on Thursday for testing on Friday. I registered on the site. Then halfway through scheduling, it asked me to sign a consent form. And that's where things went haywire. It was unable to authorize my user ID. I called tech support and spent an hour on the phone with them. No luck. We changed my password six times. It confirmed the password had been changed, but then it wouldn't let me sign in with it. They never called me back. I called the casting company and they assured me that as long as I had a patient ID number, which I did, they would let the testing location know and I would just show up and get tested. I tried again Friday morning on the website. No luck, same issue. I drove 30 miles east for the test. When I explained the situation, they were baffled. Without a consent form, they couldn't test me. I called the casting company again, and they scrambled to resolve the problem. How about I just sign a printed copy of the consent form? That's what we agreed to, but no one had one. So they tracked down the health and safety guy, who eventually appeared with the 10-page form, which I quickly filled out on the top of my car. By this time, I had had to move my car several times to let people drive up to the tent. There was another PA woman who thought this might not work because the nurses needed to pull up my electronic consent form in order to process it, but there was no such thing. The physical form wasn't stored electronically in their system. 30 minutes later, they figured out that they were going to collect my information manually and conduct the test. A nurse asked for my name, address, phone, and social. It turns out her name was Demetria, similar to mine, but by that time, I wasn't in the greatest of moods. Another woman came out and handed me her phone so I could talk to her supervisor. It was a guy from the technology company. So for the third time now, I had to explain what the issue was. He was baffled, but assured me he would fix it and call me back over the weekend. I had to say and spell my name for him. And as you may recall, saying the 12 words too quickly for him resulted in me doing this more slowly two to three times. I had two subsequent discussions with the casting company since I have to get retested on Monday, and I certainly don't want to go through this again. They assured me that everyone was now aware of the situation and that all I needed to do was pull up and get tested. We'll see what happens. These are the same people who assured me that Friday's testing wouldn't be an issue. I had a number of things in my life break this week, so I was pretty much out of patience by Friday. I didn't cause a scene or anything, but it's times like this that I wonder where I can get more patience because when it runs out, I pretty much have to curl up in a ball and sit things out for a few days. I think one consequence of the pandemic is that life has gotten so simple in many ways that when something complicated happens, you're not used to solving things and your emotions can flare up easily. I have to remain calm and know that there's only so much I can control. Namaste. It is, I don't know what day it is. It's Monday, February 8th, 2021. So here's another reason to always keep a copy of everything you apply for. And I mean the email that quotes the rates or whatever you gets texted to you 
because you need to verify, you need to have a verifiable way to get back to those people and say, here is what you told me and this is what I've agreed to. I'm here at a project testing and fitting on the same day. The testing is supposed to be $40. The fitting is supposed to be $20. The PA here is telling me it's $40 for the whole day. And I'm saying, no, it's not. That's not what I was told. And luckily, I have a copy of the text that I was sent. And so I just texted it back to her as proof that it is $60 for both, not $40 for both. So um, another communication issue. People aren't always informed. Not saying anything is anyone's trying to be sneaky here, but um, it's in your best interest to keep this information so you can... um, Provide it if needed to prove what you agree to. That's it. Thanks. I cannot believe this testing mishap from last Friday happened again, almost exactly the same way on Monday. Another two hours wasted sitting in my car trying to jigger something on a website while on a call with tech support. This is not my job. I'm not a software tester. No one's paying me enough to do this. The good news is it finally worked and I got both a rapid test and a PCR test. But then I had a fitting and they were backed up. And I had to leave in exactly one hour for an appointment back in Atlanta at 6.30 p.m. I rushed through the fitting, but it took forever for whomever needed to look at my three looks and approve to make that decision. Meanwhile, I discovered that, lo and behold, I was not going to be paid for both the COVID test and the fitting today. I explained this in another episode, so listen up again. If you ever do two things on the same day on a project, they will likely not pay you for both, and they are not at all clear at explaining this up front. The advertised $40 COVID test and $20 fitting turned into only $40 total, the higher of the two instead of the $60 I expected. I was on the phone with Central Casting, talking to someone whose phone kept breaking up, and when it finally gave out, I was sure she had hung up on me. But she was very sweet when she called back, and I kept my cool. There are certain battles that make no sense to fight, because you will never win them. Okay, it's Thursday, February 11th, 2021. I filmed Season 3, Episode 2 of Doom Patrol yesterday, so a couple of things about what happened there, and this is definitely relevant to the culture. The lodge was beautiful. I want to rent it for a party. Food is very complicated to film with the pandemic. Meredith got to eat some nasty corn. Our rolls looked awful. She actually had half a roll. The rest of us had tiny bread scraps as if rats had come in and foraged our rolls, leaving just shreds. It didn't look like something a human being would have left behind on a bread plate. I have to commend the production team for giving us the greatest preparation I have ever seen. It started with the COVID health speech, but they took it much further. Roman Santa Croce, the AD delivering it, went the extra mile to ensure we were prepared. He read the scene. He explained the scene. He explained the reactions he wanted from us. He even went as far as to tell us to invent a persona for the filming and become that person. 
and this has never happened to me before. He told us the filming would take about four to four and a half hours, which meant that after eating lunch at 6 p.m., we'd probably start around 7 and be done by 11.30. We were finished just after 11. It was wonderful. We also learned to progressively laugh. Roman prepared us by telling us they'd be experimenting with laughter on a scale from 1 to 10. But when he gave his speech and asked us to try this out, we only did levels 5 and 10. 5 being a hearty laugh and 10 being a belly-aching, piss-your-pants, all-out humor fest. When we filmed the scene, it turned out a bit differently. Instead of them saying, give us a 5 or give us a 10, they instead said, follow the lead of the main actor, who will start giggling, and that giggle will turn into laughter which will get progressively louder until it's belly aching laughter. I've never done this before. It was so much fun and actually very easy to fake laugh. And I think it looked great because we only had to do it five to seven takes and they loved it. It looked pretty real from where I was standing. It was quite strange laughing so hard and then looking at your neighbor, a complete stranger, to acknowledge how funny the joke was. We could barely hear them yell cut. But what really made me laugh was the actor's giggle. The punchline comes out, and it makes no sense because it's not in English, and someone jumps in to translate, and only then does it register and elicit a girlish giggle, which made me laugh internally, but I had to be silent until he then started laughing and it was our turn. I did run into four to five people I knew from other projects, primarily Meredith from Red Notice. She had our Red Notice hoodie on, and I learned this is viewed by some as a prestigious thing to wear. Michelle from Dynasty, a PA named Chris from Red Notice, another guy from Red Notice whose name I don't know, and I met a jolly older man who lives in Old Fourth Ward and plays drums. He had seen the Red Notice call, but couldn't commit to that much time away. He was fascinated by my stories. And don't forget McKay from season two of Doom Patrol about a year ago. Oh my God, I have never had Brill Cream in my hair and it was very, very slicked back. When we were done, there was the usual line for changing. Instead, I undressed in the near dark on the lawn by my chair so that I could just cut the line and hang my things up for them. I even saw a woman doing this. Who cares? It's all about getting out of there quickly. I was in bed by 12.45 a.m., just about three hours later than normal, and today I'm paying for it. It could have been worse. Communication is a key element of the culture here. Without good communication, things can go south very quickly, and it helps to keep everything running smoothly. Roman reminded us of this on Doom Patrol this week during his speech. I can always tell pretty quickly how well the day is going to go based on the communications I've received up to and including what I'm told on set. It all starts with the casting company's ability to provide you information about the job and how well they communicate to you during the casting process. As I've mentioned numerous times already, leaving us hanging for days or weeks after we submit isn't a great thing to do. Central Casting is very quick to turn around this transaction, and I love them for that. Within minutes, I know if I'm booked on something. If you're not booked, most companies won't do anything to let you know. You just have to figure it out. It's like telling someone, I love you and them not responding for weeks. Do they love you too? Are they thinking about it? Are they playing the field? Or are they just afraid to use the L word? On the set itself, as Roman told us this week, great communication makes the day run smoothly, which means filming completes more quickly and everyone goes home when expected. That's exactly what happened this week. Think about the 50 crew people on set who have to work together and coordinate everything that needs to happen to shoot the scene. If they were all playing on Facebook and not listening to each other instead of doing their jobs, things wouldn't get done. 
Oh, and if I haven't mentioned this already, they all have walkie-talkies in their belts to communicate with each other. Roman told us filming would take about four to four and a half hours. No one has ever told me this before. It makes a huge difference in setting your expectations. Of course, you'll be totally pissed off if he's wrong. But by publicly stating this, he has a huge incentive to keep things on track. Every other project I've worked on doesn't tell you how long it's going to take to film because either they have no idea or they don't want to set themselves up for failure by setting the wrong expectations. It's probably both. When we finished right at 11 p.m. on Wednesday, just as Roman had told us, I was elated. Not only did he tell us up front, but he was correct. More brownie points for Roman and Doom Patrol. Point two is that when you have 100 people in a room, silence is golden. That means unless you're spoken to, keep your mouth shut. The noise alone can be incredibly loud, and this gets in the way of the crew doing their job. So just shut up already. As Roman noted, yelling cut is not synonymous with, you can start chatting now. People just love to chat with their neighbors. It can be incredibly painful to zip your lip for hours when you're just dying to talk to your new friends. I just had a brilliant thought. We should all learn to sign, then we can talk with our hands. One new thing I've never seen before is the buddy system. Roman explained that when it's time to film, it's very important to know if someone is missing. And here's how you efficiently do that. When you're placed in a scene, introduce yourself to your neighbors. Then, if someone has to go to the bathroom, let your neighbors know. When it comes time to film, you can then easily tell the AD that so-and-so just ran to the bathroom. You know them by name, and you know where they are, so the AD can track them down. The other option is to not do this and instead say, yeah, this carrot top guy next to me just disappeared. I don't know his name and I don't know where he went. Roman calls this the buddy system and it works. When we were seated at our banquet table, we immediately invoked it. We went around the table clockwise and introduced ourselves. I started because I'm a take charge kind of person. DJ, Meredith, Karen, Henry, Kelsey, and Jackson. And of course, someone immediately asked Kelsey if she was Irish, and all that banner I just told you about started up. Then Kelsey was whisked away to another table. The same thing happened to Jackson. So we were down to four. While filming, a little while later, a woman named Mary barged in with a full plate of food and sat in Jackson's chair. I didn't know if he was ever coming back, so I didn't say anything. She didn't introduce herself because we're not supposed to talk. So the buddy system doesn't really work if you can't tell people what your name is. She had caused some fuss in hair and makeup a few hours before, so I had this preconceived notion that she was trouble with a capital T. They wanted to put makeup over the tattoo on her ankle, and she was acting as if they had asked her to strip off her pantyhose right there in front of everyone. No, of course not. You can do that in the ladies' room. The makeup woman was fawning all over her as if she were a wounded bird. In sum, communication is super important, and you all play a role in making it happen. I had planned to talk about food in this episode, since it's part of the culture, but then I realized I know very little about this. Here's what I know. Each production hires a catering company to come in and cook up a storm for you. You typically can see this happening on the set. In many cases, it's a hot meal, but this has also changed due to COVID. Some are now just giving out bagged lunches instead. I think the point I want to make here is that someone somewhere decides what the menu will be. And the food you get at Crafty is another experience, both of which can introduce you to foods you've never seen before. 
which means the film and TV industry is making cultural decisions based on who they are and what they believe both the crew and background will be interested in eating. And you'll all be feeding into it, pun intended. It probably has a budgetary component as well. I mean, don't expect lobster and caviar because you're not going to get it. Here are three food items I was introduced to. One is veggie straws. I love them, and they have a low carb count. My favorite flavor is sea salt. I typically ate a bag a day on the Red Notice set. Two is Zip Fizz, which is this, quote, healthy energy mix, unquote. Their words, not mine. It's a powder you pour into water to make what's basically a sport drink like Gatorade. Orange soda is my favorite flavor, but I also tried grape and fruit punch. It makes a huge mess if you're trying to pour it into a bottle of bottled water because it fizzes over like a volcano. So leave some space at the top of the bottle by drinking at least an inch off the top before you start pouring the powder in. Third is fruise balls, which are plant-powered energy balls. On Red Notice, Lily and I went back and forth for days on this one. Her name is actually Esmeralda, but it was weeks before I discovered that my new friend had an alias, just like me. She loves fruise balls, but Rowella thought they were nasty. Lily got me to try one one day. It was brownie-flavored but didn't taste anything like a brownie. I never tried the peanut butter flavor. The carbs were way too high in this product, but sometimes you just have to live a little. Oh, and VKB12 energy bars, sweet and savory, plant-based, gluten-free. I think someone's assistant has a company that makes these, so we got free samples. They were also offered at Crafty. Cocoa and sea salt was the best. So was Meyer pistachio. Finally, I tried a fruit bar called That's It. It actually contained one apple plus 20 blueberries, or at least that's what the wrapper said. The packaging was beautiful, which is what got my attention. A giant red apple on the bottom with blueberries floating on the top, surrounding the words on a white background. On Red Notice, we use this really cool mobile app called Manja to pre-order our meals for the entire week on Sundays. That's M-O-N-J-A. I think the name is a play on the Italian word for you eat or manja, spelled M-A-N-G-I-A. But even more restrictive than the app that Jersey uses, if you didn't order the next day's meals by 2 a.m., you were out of luck. I forgot to do it one day, and the only option then is to order the chef's special, which isn't very special at all. It's just a mishmash of whatever they want to give you, but it was better than nothing. In planning for Red Notice, I literally bought and brought 77 bumblebee-flavored tuna packets to have for lunch because I wanted to stay on my keto diet, but that went out the window. I ended up making a queen-size tuna quilt with them instead for the bed I wasn't sleeping in and posting it all over social media after seeing the wonderful introductory video that Emma W. had made. Mine didn't get as many likes, but I wanted to show my new friends how creative I can be. Let me say a word about transportation. Talk about variety. Weird little bikes that look like the chopper I had when I was eight years old. Retro bikes. Skateboards with giant wheels in their middles. Bird-type scooters. 
golf carts, you name it. The industry will bring in whatever they can to get around, since these sets are so huge you can't travel quickly enough on foot, and you're not going to drive from point A to point B once you've parked, so the industry has adopted travel efficiency wherever it can. I would not say the 10 speeds are part of the culture. I haven't seen any on sets I've been on, but you never know. They may become the next retro fad, just like Ginger's retro 1950s cruising bicycle with its pink basket on the front. And then I've seen little odd European-looking vans that perhaps glide easily through the narrow streets of Italy, but their brands and styles and sizes I have never seen on American roads. Where do these things come from? My closing thoughts on this episode? I thought it was going to be all about the culture, and I tried to stick to the topic, but then my acting gigs got in the way. So I tried to inject real stories related to culture, but it only half worked. I know I've given you the impression that it's kind of a laid-back culture, but that's only partially true. I'm sure it can be very stressful for people who work in it, and I have two examples. At the pool one day at my Red Notice Hotel, I noticed a California guy relaxing in a chaise lounge. I could just tell he was not from around here. Within minutes, he was on the phone arguing with someone, and then he moved 50 feet away so we could start yelling and dropping the F-bomb, and boy was he angry. Second, I watched an episode of This Is Us last night where Kevin is about to film a movie scene with Robert De Niro. Kevin gets a call that his fiancée is in labor with their twins and decides to leave the set so he can be with her. The director is a real D asterisk CK and calls him and says he needs to get back to set immediately. Kevin quits. This is probably what really goes on behind the scenes, but not something I'm privy to. I say I work in the industry, but background is tangential to the core of what's really going on. We're basically icing on the cake, not at all involved in the baking process itself. Here are my final thoughts on the culture. It makes the industry what it is, which is unique and different from every other one. You become part of the culture when you do background work. Immersing yourself in the culture will change who you are, but you'll also impact the culture as well by bringing your own things to the table. It goes both ways. Acting allows you to temporarily become someone different, but the culture alone will let you experiment with being different as well. Based on your own life experiences, some things will surprise you about the culture relative to what you're used to. And finally, it's not necessarily better or worse than your culture, so don't judge it. Just think of it as different, not better, not worse. That's all for this episode. Tune in again for more of the Background Scoop, where I discuss background acting here in Atlanta. Hope you're learning and getting some BG rules of your own. Feel free to reach out with your questions, which I'll try to answer in a future episode. Or tell me a story about your own experience, and I may choose to interview you. See the episode notes for how to reach out. And if you like what you've heard, please rate the podcast. Thanks for listening.